This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I am good. I'm good. Uh, all things considered, I'm doing very well. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. And How who do you? we have? I know. With the world in its current state, I, I, I get it. Uh, yeah. Who do we have on the 3D pod today to help at distract least I, us? At least I took things. away that daylight savings time because that was the oh, right? I know. My... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> at least now we'll know when the nuclear war will break out, right? Oh, That's my good. God. No, they'll debate about it for another like six months and then let three more go by or something before they... Yeah. <laughs> But who do we have on the 3D pod today? Well, I'm actually I'm very excited uh, about the 3D pod. Uh, we have today is, is um, Adam Feinberg. Adam Feinberg is the uh, CTO of Fluid Forum. And Fluid Forum is a company that's trying to commercialize uh, Fresh, uh, which is a bioprinting uh, method, which essentially like 3D prints, well, it, it, it syringe extrudes or extrudes uh, material into a hydrogel. And this means that you can get a rather precise and and as far as the component cost goes, rather uh, low-cost bioprinter, which could mean that you could have really cutting-edge research be quite accessible uh, compared to some other uh, bioprinting technologies. And Fresh is indeed one of the most exciting things that's happened in bioprinting, in my opinion, in the last couple of years. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so, so to me, it's very, very excited to have uh, Adam Feinberg here today. So yeah, welcome, uh, Dr. Feinberg. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and Ad- Adam's fine. Yeah, really excited to be here. And uh yeah, sure. Share what we're doing. Uh, I, I agree. I think Fresh is also one of the most exciting uh, technologies that has uh, kind of come into bioprinting in a while. Just so I can understand this and make sure I have it right. Fresh is essentially you have a gelatin-like substance, uh, this hydrogel, and then a syringe goes into the middle of it and then deposits a cell at a time or a grouping of cells at a time. And then you just do that over a 12, 24-hour period to create a piece of biomass essentially? Yeah, yeah, kind of, you know, so the, the analogy I like to use is um, hair gel at the, you know, you might see in a, in a bottle at, at the store on the shelf that has mm-hmm, all those air, mm-hmm. bu- air bubbles in it. And, you know, when you see that container of hair gel, those air bubbles, they, they're stuck, right? As far as they're concerned, they're in a solid material because they don't exert enough force on their environment to move. But obviously, if you squeeze that bottle of hair gel, it flows right out. So hair gel is one of these materials that basically goes from solid to liquid with applied force and then back again, right? Toothpaste, mayonnaise, ketchup. There's a lot of these, a lot of them are food. Ooh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we basically took that idea because, you know, when you print living cells and hydrogels, these are materials that are kind of like jello. So it's, it's easy to make a block of stuff, but it's hard to make like an intricate tissue, uh, do all the layering you have in normal 3d printing. So by, Doing it inside of this gel-like environment, we can essentially move the needle through our support gel, kind of like how easy it is to squeeze the hair gel and have it flow. But when we extrude something out of the tip of the needle, it's embedded in place, kind of like the air bubbles in hair gel. That's kind of how I try Mm -hmm. to explain it. And um, Mm -hmm. so the rheology of our support gel allows us to kind of print almost any way we want inside of it. And then the other thing the printing inside of a gel gets us is that we're actually, we're not printing in air. Normally, you don't think about your environment really doing anything to your print, like you might control temperature or humidity. But we're essentially printing in a hydrogel, which means we're printing in water, which means we have basically all of biochemistry at our disposal. 
And so our support bath is also intimately involved in the printing process. It's almost like a not another giant knob that we control the printing with. And for biologics, that's that's awesome because we can do all kinds of biochemistry and other cool tricks to to do things that just weren't possible before. And and what does that mean for like a user to to to, to use fresh? I mean, okay, it sounds very controllable. It sounds very. Uh, I love the inexpensiveness of it. Really, uh, it sounds very controllable as well. And and but what does it actually mean for for researchers in the field? Basically, it means that you can print with materials that weren't printable before. So, uh, you know, one thing we're doing at Fluidform is is collagen. Um, so, you know, collagen is essentially a, an extracellular matrix protein. It, it's really actually the most abundant protein in our body, right? It makes up, you know, a lot of the structure of our skin, but pretty much every organ except for like liquids like blood. And um, we can print collagen, for example, without modifying it. So just printing it in fresh, that environment allows it to self-assemble. Uh, compare that to like other techniques where you might need to photo cross-link it. So um, which uh, in bioprinting, you know, using UV light and other light is very common way to, to gel materials. It, you know, it works pretty well. One of the downsides is actually when you implant some of these materials in the body, if, if they've been photo cross-linked, your, your immune system essentially can recognize that as not normal. Uh, mm-hmm. and you can actually, you know, get inflammatory response to those materials. And so that's just one example of uh, kind of the, the different kinds of materials we can print. Yeah. Also with these accolades and these photo initiators and all these things, there's also a lot of cell death generally, right? I mean, yeah, UV, UV light is really bad for anything alive, right? It's the reason we get sunburn. Um, now there are new generations of, of photo, you know, cross-linking that's using more infrared, which is definitely a lot more, more friendly to cells, but you know, it's always, it's always a challenge, you know, shining light at anything living. So it can be a problem over time. As you know, right, different printing techniques have different advantages. You know, it's not kind of like one solves all problems, but for certain areas of of application, you know, Fresh is really, really great. And I also have a laboratory at Carnegie Mellon University where I'm a professor. That's actually where Fresh was originally developed. And we we definitely built this all out on basically starting out with uh, even a, like a MakerBot cupcake, if anyone remembers what that is, made out of <laughs> la- laser cut wood, you know, back in you know, you know 2009, 2010, 2011. Um, and, and obviously have you know, grown that since then. But you can do this on, on, on the least expensive hardware. Mm-hmm. And we, we had a paper in science a couple of years ago and like, you know, arguably the top journal on the planet. And we were printing the stuff on a, on a $500 printer that was in that journal. So it really shows you that you don't need necessarily to have the fanciest hardware to have high impact uh, research. But what I thought was like the really exciting thing, you've got other technologies like Lyft, for example, right? Lyft is great, but the machine's a million bucks and, and I've called it the most contrived technology that's ever been invented, right? Um, but that's only going to be like, you know, several big universities in the US will have that, right? But what I love about Fresh is that actually like some dude in Ghana, right? Or some kind of like science high school or some uh, community college in the States could all deploy the same printer and they could all be doing cutting edge research or at least contributing to cutting and cutting edge research. And you could actually like have a thousand of these work together to replicate experiments, you know? Exactly. You know, and you know, at Carnegie Mellon, we've actually uh, started running a workshop in 2018, uh, which was pretty neat. Uh, you know, since we essentially developed our bioprinters on what were open source, you know, FDM printers, um, we have uh, always released our designs as open source. We've written, you know, open access papers, but we also run a workshop or you can come to Carnegie Mellon, build your own open open source bioprinter, and then you take it back to your lab or your institution. 
And so, mm-hmm. you know, through that, we've trained, you know, well over a hundred folks uh, over the past mm-hmm. few years. We had to cancel it in 21 due to, uh, or sorry, 20, yeah, 20 mm-hmm. due to the uh, pandemic. But otherwise, uh, we've been doing that regularly. That's been pretty exciting as well. It's, it's, it's kind of one example of what you're talking about, just having a technology that's accessible so people can hopefully do the innovation on the actual bioprinting part and not have to get bogged down and trying to get, you know, these really expensive machines. So no, what, what about that. the feedstock? The feedstock is just like alginate or, or uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah but I mean, like, are, are, is someone selling this now? Is it really for the cells? It's definitely complicated. So, you know, at fluid form, we've made like the powder, like the fresh. Well, so we, we make the fresh support material available. We manufacture that and we resell it through companies like uh, Cell Inc. and uh, Levy and, and others. Uh, so, like anyone could just buy it off the shelf if they want to do the fresh printing. And then these companies have, you know, protocols and guides for how you do it. But that's just the support path in terms of like the bio inks themselves. You know, alginate, uh, as Joris mentioned, is one. Um, also, you know, a lot of collagen. Uh, but you know, Gelma, uh, you can use a lot of different kind of standard bioinks, but really the most challenging part I think are the cells. If you're printing with cells, because you, you have to grow them, you have, they have different costs associated with different cell types. Uh, sometimes quite high. It's also really hard to grow a large number of cells for, right. for tissues and, today at an economical like cost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, unless it's basically a cancer cell line, it's really difficult to grow a lot. Um, and so, you know, that might be good for a few folks who are doing cancer models, but, you know, outside of that, yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Also, you know, just, um, you know, cells don't like to be in a bioink, like on the printer, they, they want to be in an actual tissue. Cells actually need to stick to stuff. And so when they're in the bioink, they're kind of floating around and they can handle that really only for a few hours. And so at least today, our most, I would say arguably probably every bioprinter out there uh, probably can't print for really more than two or three hours max mm-hmm. without the cells dying mm-hmm. um, until someone figures out how, how to do like a, a continuous feed system where you're constantly generating cells and putting them into the ink kind of on a, on a rolling basis. So That dramatically mm-hmm. limits the size of something that you could make now, yeah, no, or yeah, you just should... use multiple printers at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so there's different ways to to solve that problem. But uh, to be frank, today, um, it's actually so costly to even, you know, generate enough cells to print longer than two or three hours that we're kind of still within that kind of sweet spot. But, you know, when we think about looking forward to, you know, scaling this up for manufacturing of medical devices that are cellularized, uh, clearly that's going to have to be solved. It could be multiple printers. and then modular assembly, right? You could have multiple print heads doing the same thing at mm-hmm. one time. Uh, but yeah, we're going to have to solve that. Yeah, that's also like when I always like, when I start to get really skeptical of bioprinting, I think of the lungs, right? And I'm thinking like a, how small that is, how thin all these tissues are. And also like my favorite thing is that unfolded, a lung is about as big as a basketball court. And then I'm like, yeah. how is this going to work? <laughs> it's a great, it's a great point. And I think, you know, this is why I think if, especially for anything cellularized, if, if someone, um, if someone thinks they know how to actually do like the whole thing, like from start to finish, they don't because we, we haven't really done enough of the research to figure out how to build a large scale functional organ for those reasons. And I think, you know, cells are also really interesting because, um, you know, they can essentially self-organize in certain ways and on certain length scales. So, um, you know, like your body's really good at making uh, capillaries. 
you know, normally, right? And, and, you know, if we either, either if we work out at, at the gym and get bigger and stronger, or if we just eat too much and get fatter, in both cases, mm-hmm. your volume increases as a, you know, you get more tissue, you have more blood vessels. And mm-hmm. so at the finest length scales, cells can kind of organize and form blood vessels and other structures. It's just your body's actually really bad at making like an artery, right? You're mm-hmm. kind of born with arteries you have and they get bigger, but your body can't repair those or make new ones. And so that's, that's where I think the bioprinting has, you know, the unique capabilities. And one of the things we're working on is understanding how and at what scale can we match up kind of what the biology does well, which is kind of build things at the micro scale, but kind of guide that and build kind of the higher, higher order structure, if you will. So you can build like a full, full tissue. So so it's really interesting. It's different than other kinds of additive manufacturing because it's not like titanium can self-organize into something, right? It's certain mm-hmm. length scale, right? right? Or, but the cells can, which is pretty remarkable. But how do you control that um, and then mm-hmm. do that in a, in a way that actually has the ability to build true functional mm-hmm. tissues is, is still very much the research. By the way, before I forget mentioning this, I really wanted to mention this since the beginning. So fluid forms, like support material, and the, and the, the stuff around it is called life support. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a good name. I like that. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to make sure that I mentioned that because we need to mention So it has that. nutrients and all sorts of fun stuff in no, it, too. No. Uh, depending on how you prepare, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've, we've had people kind of think, you know, in general, people like the name, but some people are like, oh, is, like, is, it, is it dying? Do you need to keep it on life support? But, well, but uh, it is. no, it's, it's really about supporting the formation of, of life uh, or yeah. living tissue in, in the system. Yeah. So, yeah, that's our commercial yeah. product name yeah. for it. It's a little pet thing of mine. I, I keep telling everyone that, that and everybody, nobody agrees with me, but, uh, but I keep saying that vascularization seems to be the main challenge. And everyone is working on organ systems or particular technologies to print, right? So there's comparatively little attention being devoted for, to connect everyone to vascularization, right? So do we need something like a, a human vascularization project to get everyone to actually make these things work in the body? Yeah, I mean, itself? vascularization is the only way to get anything that's, you know, bigger mm-hmm. than a few hundred microns in thickness, because mm-hmm. that's essentially like, like the diffusion limit of oxygen. So it's, right. uh, it's absolutely fundamental. I mean, vascularization has really been the reason that tissue engineering, let alone the bioprinting mm-hmm. side of it, has, has really failed to deliver on its promise mm-hmm. because it's really hard to build vasculature. I do think that's where bioprinting is uniquely positioned to, to help move the field forward in a way that other technologies have, have not been able to. And, um, you know, a lot of the, some of the big high impact scientific publications have actually focused a lot on, on that side of things. So, um, including mm-hmm. some of our work that, that we work on. Yeah. So, I mean, we can, with fresh, you can print like little vessels down to a few hundred microns in diameter, even with an extrusion technique. Um, so, and that's been pretty exciting, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely fundamental to, to, going big in fact you know nasa had launched a vascularization challenge x prize along and kind of in collaboration mm-hmm. with the methuselah foundation mm-hmm. um and uh the laboratory of tony atala at wake forest uh mm-hmm. actually won that uh believe last year so that's kind of like and then the goal of that challenge was to basically create a cubic centimeter of vascularized uh, human tissue. And does it bug you as a researcher in the field that people that because of a lot of news releases that are super optimistic, everybody thinks of bioprinting is <laughs> way closer than, than than it is? Yeah, it's super uh, frustrating. Uh, also, obviously, <laughs> when you're trying to launch it, when you're trying to build a company around it, and you have to build a company on reality, um, mm-hmm. and folks are like, "Isn't that problem solved?" But I mean, it, it goes even one step further. I've I've had 
uh, you know, I, I submit grants that are reviewed by other scientists. And I've had, you know, reviews say, oh, this has already been done. <laughs> Based on not on scientific, uh, you know, their knowledge of the science, but they're more of their knowledge of the popular press. And, yeah, you know, I saw it in like a movie. Out, I know it's been done case. already. Yeah, I know. I mean, Westworld, right? I mean, obviously, right. yeah, yeah, it's already been done. It's, it's, done. it's, it's, it's in an opening done. sequence of a TV show. It's been done. No, but even but even like uh, what what really shocked me is a lot of research doesn't have papers or doesn't have anything contributing it or doesn't have anything kind of describing it properly, or you know, and also it just it just. Yeah, it just makes it seem like it's much further along, you know, like than than it is, and it's also from research scientists, not like the popular press by itself, you know. I was to say we've even done interviews with companies who are claiming that they're going to be having like meat products and stuff like that out in the market relatively soon um, from bioprinting, which is also seems, from what you're saying, like a hard task on some level. Yeah, I mean, you know. Uh... Printing meat that's actually been alive and grew, and then I guess you killed is is probably not going to happen. You know, three, using three D printing to put stuff in certain spots, and uh, I mean that. I, th- I think it all depends on how you define it. Find it, like yeah, that. fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think there's a lot of kind of creative license um, uh, with, with with a lot of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's it's this is really hard stuff. I think, you know, obviously we want to, I think there's a reason to be enthusiastic. I mean, the progress that's being made, I think is pretty exciting. I mean, honestly, 10 years ago, I would not believe we made the progress we had. Uh, But yeah, I think to your point, there's still a lot of, a lot of, a lot of road left to travel before we get to, you know, bioprinted, you know, organs or even things like meat. I mean, my goal is uh, to have both, and and this is kind of overlaps with fluid form and, uh, the work we do at Carnegie Mellon because Carnegie Mellon's more on the um, on the research side, and fluid forms really focus on translating some of these into just commercialization commercial products. But we plan to have at least you know uh, like a something like a you know bioprinted heart within at least a rodent model within five years. We, oh, we expect that's... we expect we expect that to be doable. That's quite soon, actually. Yeah, well, now like translating five year prediction is you know <laughs> no 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 I, I get I get that but I yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, I also get that lots of people will also say, like, that's been done just because a solid mass of, like, muscle tissue has been electrified. Right now, are you seeing this, like, is, is, is fluid form mainly focused at research? Yeah, you know, so, pe- yeah, people we're are really doing focused. Research, or is there an actual market beyond that? Yeah, so, you know, we're not, you know, we support the research market with, like, our partners, like I mentioned, like Alevi and Selling and others who, you know, help researchers. And, and Fluidform, we're primarily focused on applications in, in, in clinical translation. And so, right. um, you know, one of the areas that we've announced a partnership with uh, last summer was with Johnson & Johnson's Ethicon division, where we're, we're basically working on really, I think, the probably what's, you know, kind of still very, very difficult, but probably like kind of one of the lower bars, which is 3D printing. Uh, tissue simulation uh, models. So these are basically things that look like tissue. You can imagine like a, an artery. Uh, it's not alive. Uh, it doesn't have cells, but what it does is it responds to um, surgical instruments. So you can suture it, you can cut it, you can electrocauterize it. All the things you would do in real surgery, this tissue that we can print behaves exactly the same. So you can use that for surgical training, surgical planning. Uh, that we, we anticipate that'll be our first 3D bioprinted product that we're manufacturing on our fabrication line out uh, this year. So, mm-hmm. okay. That's very exciting. Well, first, how did, well, okay. So first you were, you were a professor at Carnegie Mellon. 
And how did you how did Fresh come about? But I think the, the origin story we need to focus on first. That's uh, fine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So you know, basically, uh, you know, starting a, a lab. So I started my position at Carnegie Mellon as a professor in 2010, and um, you know, years before that, I had worked at a company called Abiomed that was working on a total artificial heart, a mechanical heart, and it uh, really got me intrigued. Uh, and that's uh, in the late 90s. So we were using like SLA printers to make models, and I was just intrigued by the idea of why can't we just, you know, print the medical device directly. And then when I started my own lab, I'm like, well, now we're even a step beyond that because people were already then, you know, 3D printing medical devices. It's like, why can't we just 3D print tissue? And, and the answer was that the technology doesn't really work. And a lot of what people were doing, they were trying to like make bio inks like, you know, that would normally not hold their shape printable in error by adding all kinds of different additives and other things that maybe make it print better, but they actually negatively impact the actual biology. And so... Um, me and my students were really trying to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we solve that? Like, you know, when you have a new lab, it's almost like you're starting from scratch and you can kind of go in new directions without kind of having any sort of like kind of existing overhead, if you will, that would keep you stuck in the spot. And so we realized that a lot of it was the environment. And so I had a really, uh, amazing graduate student, uh, TJ Hinton, who was, uh, the first author on the paper where we first described fresh in 2015. And he really came up with this idea of, of, oh, maybe we could do it in like blended gelatin uh, because it would have the right rheology to support it. Uh, and he started working on it. And lo and behold, a crude version worked pretty quickly. And we've kind of just been refining that concept um, ever since. And actually, TJ Hinton now leads research and development at, at Fluidform. Uh, and that, that was really the nexus of it. Yeah, so the paper had a lot of impact. Uh, there's also, and this is, I don't know, I don't want to make you get into this if you think it's controversial, but there's also, there's also SLAM and NOSE, which are rather <laughs> similar technologies. Um, so we don't have to get into that if you don't want to. But, um, so, but Fresh is a had, better name, though. Good no, uh, Yeah, Fresh is a better name. And, and, and so that was a big impact. It was a big impact paper. There's a lot of talk about it. There's a lot of people experimenting with it. I mean, and then you could have just done this for the rest of your life, right? I mean, so at what point do you then decide, you know, what I need to do is start a company? To, I'll, I'll just say that I think imitation is obviously the purest form of flattery. So um, I'll, I'll kind of leave <laughs> leave it at that. And also good. that um, it's yeah, we'll have the Harvard kids on later. Don't worry. Yeah, it's a good deflection. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always an advantage to follow your IP first, which is also something we're we're pretty happy that we were able to do. So you know we're, we're, we feel like we're in a pretty good spot, regardless of what people call their technology. Um, and in terms of you know starting a company, you know. I, I truly believe like fresh will revolutionize medicine as we know it because it, we can build, you know, human tissue pretty reliably. Um, you know, today that looks like things without cells. So the, the, we're building amazing collagen devices, but really it's just the potential of where we saw the technology able to go. If we were able to dump the resources in to continue, continue to, to develop it. Um, and actually to make that impact. And, you know, in academia, we obviously have the ability to do really cool research and kind of follow our curiosity. But, you know, to to then take that and actually have that make, you know, medical products like today we're seeing, you know, additives of like, you know, added manufacturing of like peak or titanium do and, and, and you know, standard medical device, you know, that 
was clearly something that the technology had, but it wasn't going to happen in, unless some of us who really understood the technology at its core, like myself and TJ, and also some other folks like Andrew Lee, who's another uh, one of my students who's now at the company. It, we were really going to have to focus on proving that you can actually make end applications and end products with the, with the platform. Not not there's this cool way to like make stuff in the lab, but you can actually use it for scalable biomanufacturing. So I think we all saw that as possible and we saw that if we can make that happen, then you know, then the opportunities are just tremendous to to have an outsized impact and, and hopefully, you know, you know, it, it sounds corny, but you know, honestly save human lives, you know, make lives better for people. I mean, I, I truly believe that's where the technology will go. Um and um the industry needs needs some wins on the board in that sense. Um, I think, you know, someone needs to be the pioneer and, 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 you know, we're, that's us for now. And, and it's a few other companies also. Have and, you, have you guys reached yeah. any implantation yet? Not in humans. Yeah. We've done a ton Not of, uh, we've done a ton of, uh, you know, animal, you know, preclinical work, including mm-hmm. all the way through, you know, uh, large, you know, animal models. Uh, a lot of that is work, uh, through Carnegie Mellon with collaborators. Uh, but you know, we are, you know, uh, we are working towards uh, partnering for an application um, uh, where we would, you know, basically be manufacturing a, a collagen-based medical device. So it, it's a, a very similar trajectory to the way, you know, if you look at, like, say, like a skull plate made out of peak or peck, you know, transitioned from being something that was like molded or more machined now into something that's additive manufactured. You know, same material, same application, but you just use additive to produce it. We're taking a similar road with just collagen-based medical devices, which is already like a, a multi-billion-dollar industry. Uh, but what we can do is take the same material, same indication, and again, we can add it and manufacture it, which gives us obviously flexibility and design control, uh, potentially patient specificity. And so we anticipate having, you know, one of those products out through a partnership with an existing device manufacturer uh, within the next uh, two to three years, uh, hopefully in humans by that point. On the one hand, it's obvious, like, let's focus on the material, right? Let's make the material and the, 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 let's say the protocols around that material standard. And then we standardize ourselves and then everybody keeps using our material forever, right? So that makes a lot of sense from a business standpoint, right? But you could have also made the printer, right? You could have also made the software. But why focus on this specific part? I mean, we really want to have end applications be successful. And so, yeah, we are not, we are focused on building printers, but it's more of a, I would say it's the printer. I would say it's the manufacturing line, right? So that's really what we're focused on. So the printer is a key part of it, but we're not, it's not a research grade printer. We build a fluid form. It's really designed for continuous manufacturing. You know, mm. so you know, for example, like a standard three D bioprinter has like a little syringe on it. Our our printers don't have syringes on it. They're designed for continuous feed, you know, systems, right? So they can just be there continuously manufacturing a part, and then you know for a lot of these applications too, um, it's not just a printer, you know, obviously normal 3D printing, depending on the technique, has, you know, some pre and, and definitely has post-processing, you know, involved in getting parts finished. Uh, and we're also building out those systems as well. And so it is very much like focus on actual, like a bio, you know, manufacturing, uh, you know, line, assembly line platform. So I think that's what's a little bit different. And then that's also why uh, we also didn't feel the need to compete uh, on the research side, where there's already you know a number of you know well-established you know you know players in the space you know supporting that that group of, of folks and that and we are just you know 
basically working with them to make you know fresh available on those research platforms and at the company really focus on the manufacturing platform and then mm-hmm. getting some early applications all the way through to really demonstrate that this is this is possible it works uh, and then the products hopefully we make with these platforms have you know true benefits over what currently exists so and when you talk about what, what can you tell us about this manufacturing platform yeah so you know obviously the fresh printer uh, is is key uh, but we are also developing large-scale uh, preparation of the support materials that that we, that we produce. You know, so the way you might make the fresh support gel uh, from the powder into the final gel you print in, when you're doing it, you know, in a couple wells of a petri dish, is different than if you're doing it for these huge containers uh, that you're going to, you know, be producing, you know, tens to hundreds of parts in. So you know, there's new hardware around around that. Uh, there's also a lot of proprietary. Uh, post-processing to make materials have, you know, changing the material properties. One of our internal programs at Fluidform that's, I think, incredibly exciting is we're building a a heart valve, which sounds incredibly ambitious. Uh, But, uh, you know, current heart valves that are used are either mechanical or they're biologic and they're derived from like animal tissue. And uh, we've been able to start to 3D print collagen with material properties that um, through our post-processing techniques that we developed, actually have the the same strength and durability as the animal-derived tissue. Except now we have full engineering design control of of that valve design uh, because it's three D printed. Uh, mm-hmm. So that that's kind of one example. Wow. And so the post-processing is part of that. If and then also for the tissues that are cellularized, because the heart valve is is actually meant to be more of a, a durable collagen-based medical device like current valves, but for our living tissues, uh, you've also got the bioreactor. So once you come off the actual printer, you go into a bioreactor, right? Which is going to what's going to provide the the perfusion um, and the nutrients, and typically mature a tissue so it's actually ready for whatever that next stage is. It might be as a a, a model for uh, disease modeling for pharmaceutical development, or you know, eventually it'll be a tissue that we would want to implant. Just how long can you keep this tissue after it's come out of the printer alive for right now? Like if you put it in the right suspension, is it an indefinite thing? Yeah, if you put it in the right suspension, I think we've gone out as long as six months with no no real deterioration. You know, typically, um, so most of the folks that we're working with, and right now this is more on the, um, these are small tissues, mostly cardiac tissues for, uh, you know, more like pharmaceutical development. They're more interested in not how long it lasts, but how long does it take to get stabilized, if you will, in, in its behavior. So, you know, once it comes off the printer, it does take probably two to four weeks, depending on the tissue, before it really stabilizes and kind of has maximized its its functional performance, uh, which is just part of growing the tissue, uh, you know, once we make it. So that's been actually the bigger concern because they, they just wanted to use it. Uh, they're not worried about durability or lifespan, but yeah, some of these will last a pretty long time. That's, that's, cool. they, that, that's applications right there. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think it's good that you guys are selling to the industry because like what I've always looked at is, is you know, if you look into a startup investor, they want to return three years, seven years, whatever, something like that. Right. And if we're looking at the, the, the bioprinting, the opportunities are in the long term, 10 years, 20, right. So, you know, and you're, a lot of these companies are way too small for private equity money. And then you have to kind of find a way to finance yourself. So for you guys to sell 
these intermediates or these useful products to the industry is a way to do that. But also, I like the mm-hmm. idea that companies are focusing on on more and more things to sell to either the the, the pharmaceutical industry or the the industry right now, what they can make right now while they try to make organs in the future. I think right. uh, you were referring to kind of the, our near term kind of business model that mm-hmm. also obviously spans to the the long term vision. Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. much by design. And you know, the other thing we focus or related to that that we focus on is really just finding who are the partners that today we solve their needs or today we'll solve their needs with six or 12 months of, you know, co-development work. Right. Uh, and, and because we've got to get these wins on the board. And so I kind of mentioned this first partnership we had with, with Johnson and Johnson's Ethicon around kind of these tissue models. You know, it, it's, that it is really about kind of our idea that we need to build a strong foundation. And if we do it right, we can layer on complexity address markets along the way and, and build a hopefully, you know, a financially viable company uh, that has actually earned the right to go after these huge aspirations. So, you know, the first is like this in vitro, acellular, non-regulated space around, you know, tissue modeling for education. And then the next is uh, our cellularized models, but that are used in vitro for pharma uh, development. And we actually have a co-development deal on one of those right now with a top five pharma company. Um, and then after that is acellular, so no cells. So these would be like collagen devices, but then they would be used in vivo. Um, mm-hmm. And these are like the 510K collagen-based devices I mentioned mm-hmm. that we're working on. And then only after that are we looking at going cellularized in vivo. And so by building up these wow. capabilities, not only are we in every iteration improving our biomanufacturing platform, but we're also getting things like, you know, our life support GMP grade as a master file at the FDA. We're, mm-hmm. we're showing that we can manufacture under full GMP for the entire devices, that we can do technology mm-hmm. transfer from fluid form to our partners for manufacturing scale up. Again, these are the things that then when we say, hey, you know, in three or four or five years, we're going to go raise a large sum of money to actually now build organs. That seems a lot more credible. That's how we look at it. And then that's hopefully where we'll get. But interestingly, it seems more like you guys are building an industry than, than building a company. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we kind of have to do both because the industry doesn't really exist. Didn't exist. Right? <laughs> uh, um, it, it exists today at the research level, but it doesn't exist today at kind of the, the, the yeah. you know, industry industrial scale manufacturing level for bio. And honestly, mm-hmm. that if we can make that happen, you know, obviously that's a, you know, that's a huge impact. So, um, yeah. Yeah, but generally, I mean, we're seeing these people like uh, there's a couple of approaches, like either people are saying they're focusing on one organ system or one procedure, one thing like really limited, or they're trying to build a kind of like a walled garden thing, you know, where they're saying like everything with us, right. Everything with us. And you guys seem to have like, okay, there's a lot of IP still, but there's, there's still a, you know, a more open or more, yeah, you're more, prone to want to build out infrastructure. That's, I think that's the key element of you guys, what you're doing. I think it is what sets us apart. Uh, obviously, time will tell if, if our approach is successful. Uh, I, I think there's obviously a lot of space here to, for different approaches. But, you know, it's not to say it's not without challenges of, of getting, you know, the, you know, the capital and we need to do some of this. But um, it is really the reason uh, that we've spent a lot of time trying to find the right partners. Uh, because, you know, to, you, you obviously need really good partners, um, that believe in the technology, but also believe your technology can solve their problems and that we've got enough evidence to hopefully support mm-hmm. that. And, and so, 
so far mm-hmm. we've been able to to do that with with some key players and um and and you know many you know we found many many times and uh that you know companies have already dabbled in bioprinting before and and been really disappointed with the outcomes so they've already kind of got a bad not of a bad taste in their mouth but they're definitely underwhelmed um, mm. and so you know one of the things we've been doing is a ton of kind of education around you know really what we can do today um versus you know what's been possible in in the past and uh, hopefully you know as a few of these products actually make it out the door and we can talk more openly about it i think the the progress we've made will be more more evident I'm, I do apologize for that train. It is one of the curses <laughs> of being in Pittsburgh is that they drive by every once in a while. So, so I, I thought of I thought of Pittsburgh when you when I heard the train. So that's, that's good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit of branding, I think. <laughs> uh, and, okay, so um, um, I think that's a, I think it's an interesting approach. You'll never know. I mean, I think you don't want to, you don't want to be Xerox Park, right? <laughs> Where everybody right. takes your ideas <laughs> and just run, runs with it. And yeah. I think I think what you want to be is like Akamai, right? Akamai is my example of like there's a company that's still around. It's like they build. They are a content delivery network right now. You can sign up to them, and uh, and they're like a kind of host for your your image or your data assets on the website. So they're 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 a company that's been delivering value on the internet for like you know since almost well not inception but since very early days. You know, so you can continue to deliver value for a very long time. I think with your approach, that's what we're hoping. I mean, and honestly, you know, if things work work really well, you know, a lot of stuff will be made. You know, on our with or within large part by our manufacturing cap- you know technology but you know it'll be just sold by you know your, your name brand med med device and other companies and you're not really even aware it's fluid form that's behind it but isn't there something like you could really why not put a thousand dollar bioprinter on the market i mean isn't it that's so obvious how many people yeah. need that right now well uh, you every, know, every 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 university every biomechanical engineering department it's not only tissue engineering, right? So all the guys doing car like cartilage, True. but also all the guys cartilage doing biomechanical and, stuff yeah. that could benefit from this as well. Soft robotics. Yeah, we you know, we weighed well. this decision in the past, and you know, there's you know, with with existing bioprinting companies, you know, there's thousands of machines already out there that are in labs already, um, and so we really you know we focus on basically trying to leverage that existing user base and support them. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, which is why we're we've made our materials available on multiple platforms. We definitely mm-hmm. could have made a you know an entry level uh, you know bioprinter and put it out there mm-hmm. um, at, on the fluid form side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's like you know with a startup company you you really do have to focus, and there's only you know so mm-hmm. much bandwidth we have, and so uh, we really decided what the industry is clearly lacking is kind of this actual you know products that have made it all the way through and, and we want to build the, the line to, to do that and the partners to, to start mm-hmm. that that journey with but you know again on the cmu side it's also why uh with my kind of you know professor hat on we we have kind of supported that open source movement and also try to make things available uh we'll have a paper uh coming out later this year that basically, you know, to kind of address your your question Joris where uh it basically it's full instructions on how you can buy like a you know, a five hundred dollar printer off of uh, Amazon and, and turn it into a bio printer for you know very little mm-hmm. money, and it's basically a soup to nuts instruction manual. So, um, not mm-hmm. quite as easy as buying it, but um, uh, it should be pretty close. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm actually some like, undergrads can do the work. No, <laughs> no, but like I'm, I'm super excited about this. I'm literally, I, I've a couple times thought about um, 
Like, it's really weird. I was supposed to write a big research report on bioprinting. It was so complicated. That I thought it'd be much easier to make the system. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, I should stick to making the machine. And I looked at making the, the, the fresh based bioprinter and it looked really simple. <laughs> and, and I'm actually, now I'm, I'm toying with doing some CRISPR stuff in my house. <laughs> okay. So I'm, yeah. I'm more going towards like that kind of bio thing on the side. I'm working with these viscotech nozzles, you know, that these, um, these dispense discrete, uh, discrete dispensing nozzles, and I'm really excited. Like, like somebody is going to do this at one point, right? It might as well be me, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I do think uh, you, you brought up CRISPR, and I, I just, you yeah. know, I think some of the the other technologies that you know are um, that are going to end up just making us more successful at bioprinting are pretty exciting. I think you mm-hmm. know, gene editing is one of them. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the in, these uh, induced pluripotent stem cells where you can basically take a skin cell from any adult and then turn it into a cell that is like an embryonic stem cell, but didn't come mm-hmm. from an embryo. It came from, you can reprogram basically an adult cell into becoming anything. a stem cell, and then you can make it into anything else. And then also, you know, advances in AI and machine learning. We're, 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 there's going to be some confluence here of technologies. And we are, we are leveraging some of mm-hmm. this at FluidForm. Uh, and mm-hmm. other aspects of it, at, and, and, and you know, at the research level at Carnegie Mellon, but this is going to accelerate the pace mm-hmm. of what is possible. Um, that's one reason I'm I'm pretty, you know, uh, confident in saying like we'll have you know like a beating heart in a in a rodent within five years, uh, because mm-hmm. uh, you know I can see the writing on the wall and the, and the things we've been able to just even just do in the in the last six months that we weren't able to do in the last six years. For example, yeah. no. So. Yeah, but that's what I'm trying to. I'm, I am trying to convince you to do this because, like, uh, in fact, like this open source bioprinter for a thousand bucks, it's totally doable. And totally. What, the reason I'm really excited about it is, it, I do think it's going to be a force multiplier. It's going to accelerate this development for everyone. But I also think that it's going to be like an experiment replication machine. You know, one of the biggest problems now is that you do an experiment and maybe one or two people replicate it. But now, you, you know, if you you sell ten thousands of these or hundreds of thousands of these, you could have thousand people replicating your experiment or making variants of that experiment you could like brute force attack a lot of existing problems yeah i i totally agree yeah we had we had uh worked with some uh companies like uh lulzbot in the past on some of those ideas that didn't take off there but that was more of you know you know every company's got its own objectives and and um challenges so yeah we, we've thought about it uh it i Honestly, it is a lot of this is around just so many hours in the day. So uh, yeah, the challenges exactly, of exactly. having to focus with a startup, you know, obviously selling printers would generate revenue, which is mm-hmm. always nice to have. It's not, it's not like you guys, it's not like you guys aren't ambitious enough with what you're doing. Right? I know, right? <laughs> I know. So, well, you know, and, and more pro- let's add more headaches to this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we a lot of yeah. times when we tell people at Fluid Farm, yeah, we're trying to make a heart valve, they're like, that seems like kind of like on the ambitious side of what you might want to start with. And then yeah. uh, then we show them the heart valve we have, and then they, they, they stop talking. <laughs> they're like, oh, maybe that is a good idea. Um, oh, so, you didn't say it was for Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> we're not able to, you know, we're not able to publicly share what we have yet. But I mean, that's the kind yeah. of thing where, you know, um, and I think that's the exciting. I'm actually excited. You know, obviously, yeah. you never know what some companies have under the hood. And um, I'm also yeah. excited for the field because I'm sure we're not the only ones that have some really exciting tech under yeah. the hood that is kind of getting near release, you know. So. Yeah. yeah no definitely definitely yeah, yeah and and it's nice that you guys are not working on your my first organ the trachea like everyone else <laughs> yes 
that's very new um yeah but th- thank you so much I, I love what you guys are doing i really love I, I think well first off thank you for fresh i think it's, it's one of the most exciting scientific inv- uh, developments that i've seen happen in my lifetime like seriously it is wow, uh, an incredible breakthrough that. technology uh so so thank you so much for that and thank you for being on the 3d pod yeah i really enjoyed talking to you both and thanks for the opportunity and uh max thank you for being here as well no my pleasure as always Joris. fascinating I agree. And, uh, and thank you guys for listening. And uh, this is Jonas Peels, and uh, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard, or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.